Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 136 of the podcast. It's the 8th of August, 2018, as I record this intro. This week, I have a lovely conversation with Jessica Hughes. Jessica and her husband, Mika, have three children, ages 11 to 18. When their kids were younger, they were homeschooling with a curriculum, but they eventually found their way to unschooling. So we talk about that journey, uh, what you can do when you feel caught up in everyday struggles, supporting your husband's journey, shifting away from fear, how unschooling has helped their family heal, and lots more. As a personal update this week, I'm excited to share that I've officially released my first book by another author through my new publishing imprint, Forever Curious Press. It's the ebook edition of Sue Patterson's book, Homeschooled Teens, 75 Young People Speak About Their Lives Without School. I first read Sue's paperback edition of this book back in 2015, and I wrote a review on my blog. The 75 respondents ranged in ages from 15 to 30 plus, and about half of them identified as unschoolers. The various homeschooling styles adds a richness to this 2011 snapshot of the 30, of a 30 question survey, um, which covered such diverse topics as learning and social life, sports, hobbies, employment, uh, family life, college, future plans, and lots more. And on top of that, Sue adds her own insights into their answers, bringing even more depth to the conversation. I found the book to be a fascinating look into the minds and hearts of the unconventionally educated. So when I learned that Sue was interested in having an ebook edition, I offered to work with her. And she said yes, yay! (laughs) In the show notes, you'll find links to my review and to purchase the ebook online from your favorite retailer. And I want to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Their generous support is vital in helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my work like this podcast and my website, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash exploring unschooling. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Jessica. Welcome. I'm Pam Larickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Jessica Hughes. Hi, Jessica. Hi. (laughs) I recently came across Jessica's series of posts on Steemit about her family's unschooling journey, and I immediately powered right through them, (laughs) start to finish. It was such an interesting and fun read, Jessica. So I was thrilled when you agreed to come on the podcast to talk about your experience. And to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Uh, Well, my husband and I 
have three children. Uh, our youngest is a girl, Lily Rose. She's 11. And then we have a 16-year-old boy, Joseph. And our son, Nicholas, is 18. I can't even believe it. <laughs> um, we've had kind of a different style of uh, family life than a lot of people do. Um, our jobs have taken us like all over the country. We do research for um, mineral title. So depending on what courthouse, you know, we need to be at for, I guess, about 12 years, you know, we might have to pick up and move after six months with three days notice. So, um, so homeschooling was always an option, you know, that we went with mainly because it was hard to think of putting the kids in a school and, and then not knowing what would happen and, you know, have to pull them out. And I mean, I've regretted it sometimes, but also they've had such cool experiences. We've been and seen so many wild things. You know, every time we moved, we tried to stop it, neat stuff along the route on our way to our new post or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, But now, you know, a lot of courthouse stuff has gone online in recent years. And so uh, about six years ago, we purchased a house in Pennsylvania that needs to be restored. And we've had to leave a few times and had a little bit of issues with it. Uh, but now we're living in the restoration project and working remotely. So we're settled, but there's a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> I find as soon as one thing kind of looks like it's almost finishing up. There's always, an, there's another project that I want to start. I want to start. So <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so can you uh, tell us about how you actually discovered unschooling and what your family's move to unschooling looked like then? Um, it was through Facebook. Uh, I had, some friends who, you know, would mention unschooling. And uh, I actually started sort of just reading some posts from uh, Sandra Dodd's uh, Radical Unschooling Facebook group. And I didn't immediately move to that. Um, I was, I'm a big reader. And I actually kind of I was almost a Luddite. Like I, I wasn't big on computers or technology or anything. And when the kids were really little, we had a lot of headbutting about, you know, gaming and being on the computer, computer time. I really felt like outside time is superior to inside time. Reading is superior to TV watching, of course. And the more classic the novel, the better. Um, like my son, Nicholas, when he was four, he, I had got him reading by that point because I was just determined, like the sooner they read, the better. And uh, like we read H.G. Wells' Time Machine, which used to be a feather in my cap. And now I think, oh, that poor kid. <laughs> <laughs> making him, you know, I like it and all, but it's a bit of a slog for a (laughs) four-year-old. But um, we were having trouble sticking with a curriculum. We kept trying new things that we felt like they would like better. Mm -hmm. Uh, But all of them centered around basically teaching, 
teaching them this, teaching them that. And we were having such problems with, I don't even want to say rebellion. It was more like they were just unhappy. They were mm-hmm. so unhappy. And my middle child had gotten to the point where, I mean, I was legitimately becoming concerned for his safety. And, you know, my, my husband and I didn't have like, you know, we had very uh, traditional um, children should be seen and not heard kind of upbringings. And while we had never been quite that, you know, we let the kids talk back, (laughs) you know, argue with us about things or whatever. But in the end, it was always just like our way, always. And I started reading more on unschooling because I was looking for a way to give them, I guess, more of a sense that they were involved in their own learning. I didn't want them to feel like it was just stuff that was spoon fed to them. And, you know, at first it just seemed like everyone was like unicorns. Everyone had this perfect life. They had all unschooled from the very beginning and that none of those things could possibly work for my family. (laughs) Um, But Micah and I talked about it and we decided to just just try like things started making sense Sandra had some articles that approached things from an economic perspective Mm -hmm. Um, you know the idea of diminished returns and things like that and I thought that makes sense to me that makes sense and if it applies you know in all these other human behaviors why would it not apply in learning and also I remembered for myself how much I loved to learn before I was put in school and how much I loathed being forced to learn things that I felt were useless or didn't apply to my life at that time. And so I thought, you know, when internet came around and I could search for things myself, I just became a knowledge junkie again. I loved it. And I thought, why do I think that I would be this way? But, you know, my children would not. So Micah and I decided we would, we agreed we would give it six months and just slowly start saying yes more, stop enforcing um, a daily homeschooling regimen we gave them a summer break, which they had never really had before because we only homeschooled like three days a week anyway. Um, and so we gave them a summer break and then we just never went back. Uh, so it wasn't like, okay, you never have to do school again. We just said, you know, let's take a break and, you know, everybody, all your friends are on summer break. You can have a break too. And we just sat back to see how it went. And at the end of those six months, I mean, really, probably six weeks in, the difference was already so incredible. Like, we could never have turned back after that. We were so much closer to the kids already, and they were so much happier and calmer. They weren't stressed. They weren't like little adults who, you know, were worried about paying the bills. And that's what they were like And I I didn't, I mean, not that they were really worried about paying the bills, but you know, you see like adults who stress about these big life things and they weren't like that anymore. And that was, 
a big, big bonus for us. <laughs> wow. Wow. I got goosebumps when you were talking about that, how like six weeks and you saw such a huge difference, like the weight lifting off them really is what that, yeah. that was, right? Like it's like, it oh. really was. Yeah, it really was. And there were, there were times that, you know, my, my middle child, who's probably the most like me, <laughs> there were times that he would kind of give me this suspicious look, like he'd say, well, can I stay up late on the computer tonight with my friends? And I'd say, yeah, sure, go ahead. And he'd give me this look like, and it wasn't until we had been at it for several months that I actually really talked to them about, you know, we really are trying to do differently. And I apologize for some things. I know that, um, you know, you're not supposed to talk too much (laughs) with your kids, but I did feel that I had things to apologize for and I did. And, and I felt that that caused, you know, that created a lot of healing for us. And my boys were older. I mean, they were nine and nine and 12, 11 or 12 when we even first started. So they were old enough to be able to understand when I said, like, I feel like I made these mistakes and here's why it's not an excuse, but you know, we're trying to do differently and, you know, give us some feedback. We're happy for that. (laughs) What did you mean by um, not talk to them too much? You mean about the process? Um, Yeah, I, I know in, um, in the group, a lot of times you'll get a parent who will post and they'll say, well, you know, I explained to them that this is what we're doing. And I explained, this is why, and I explained all this. And, you know, a lot of times you want to say like, well, don't explain too much. But I mean, of course, it's age dependent. I mean, we didn't start when they were, you know, four explaining this is the process. (laughs) No, it's that's such a great point. Because, you know, um, they're busy living their lives. Right. And they're, they're, they're learning, they're doing things, we can see those things. And it's because we are, as, as a parent, we're looking for those things, right? Especially when we're choosing an unschooling lifestyle, we're like, yeah. but oh my goodness, are they still going to keep learning? Are they going, you know, all, all the things that we're worried about, not to put those on them, right? I think that's a right. great point is, is they don't have to understand unschooling. Like, wow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't have to understand how it works. I mean, conversations come up, like if, if maybe as they get older, they're like, and they've got messages from friends around them that go to school or from TV shows and movies. You know, am I really learning? Am I, you know, getting away with something? But that, those kinds of conversations come up naturally as those things come up in our our lives. But as you said, your kids were older, too. And, and they could see that something had changed over the last right. few months, right? Things were different. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, it's great to have that conversation. Just so, like, I know you noticed this. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't just like give up or anything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like we didn't just say, oh, you know, because I guess that's another thing, too. That's a really good point is um, when you do that shift, you know, kids can sometimes feel like what all of a sudden they don't care if I'm staying up late because before it used to be a big deal. They don't care now if I do this, you know, they're saying yes all the time. So I guess 
you also, as you were saying, yes, sure, you can do this, you can do this, but yeah, to so that they don't feel like, um, you know, maybe our parents don't care about us anymore, or they've given up on us, or whatever. Right. But but you're also engaging more with them, you know, and you're happier with them. It's like, yes, well, let me help you do that, etc. Right. So it's a whole different atmosphere, right? Yeah, and that was something that. Um, like you said, organically, the conversations come up, you know, I wanted to be really clear, like my older son, and maybe because, you know, he had had the longest with me Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, me pounding it into him, like, we need to do this, or else we're going to be failures and (laughs) starve to death. And, (laughs) you know, he probably like six weeks in, he came down and asked me, um, can I, can I put Excel on my computer? I want to make myself a school schedule. (laughs) Yeah. And I just said, you know, of course, absolutely. And, you know, if there's anything that I can do, like he learned um, several languages because just friends of his that he gamed with spoke these other languages and he wanted to communicate in their language. And, you know, I was, I can get you Rosetta Stone or we can download, you know, this app or whatever, you know, it was definitely conversing more with them and hearing about what they did. And, and of course I had not heard hardly anything about what they did previously because they knew that I didn't want to hear it. And Mm -hmm. that's the sad truth. I didn't want to hear what they did on a computer. And, you know, I regret that. Um, but I guess, um, I mean, you read all of mine, so you know that, like, I tried to be really clear that I was definitely not a perfect parent, and it's been really important to me, I think, to share my journey because I want people to know that it's never too late. It really isn't. It is never too late to, I mean, my own mother and I did not have a very good relationship um, out of fear. She was very judgmental, and, and I know it was out of fear. She loved me very much, and she did not want me to make you know, certain mistakes that she felt she had made. And it was not until I was, you know, in my mid twenties, probably that, you know, she saw me with my son and saw me sort of being okay. And she Mm -hmm. was able to let go of that fear. And, uh, you know, now we have a wonderful relationship. And so I just want other parents to know that, like, it's never too late to, you know, really embrace who your children are and not spend your time panicking about who you need to make them be. Um, it's mm-hmm. been amazing. It yeah. really has. <laughs> oh, I will definitely share in the show notes links to to your journey, your series of articles. And that's why I was so excited to have you on too, because absolutely, you know, when we discover it doesn't matter what age, you know what, even if our children are young adults, our adults, whatever, when we discover a way to have a better relationship with another person and with our children, go for it, right? (laughs) And like you said, you know, especially when they're older and can understand, you know, to talk about that shift a little bit, to say, hey, you know, I realize, to apologize for before and and not uh, as in a way to denigrate ourselves, but just to say, I know different now. Right. I'm trying something different. And look, it's working better. Right? Right. You know, yeah, I did absolutely. I did what I knew then, right? But mm-hmm. but 
betters now. (laughs) And I think that it helped my relationship with my mother as well, because it's humbling to realize that, you know, you've made mistakes and probably, you know, I mean, some of those mistakes I made from my child's perspective would have been horrific. I don't even want to think about them, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean I didn't love him. It doesn't mean that I didn't love them and didn't want the best for them. And it helped me to see that, you know, my mother really was just a young, afraid mother who wanted the best for me and didn't have a framework to make different choices. She didn't have those options provided to her. And so for my husband and I, we've talked about this. We know we're not even today perfect parents, but we feel like we have given, you know, the next generation a few children who will be even better parents than we were because they have more options and they have a better framework than we did. Well, that's and I think that's probably the best a parent can hope for, really. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. They're they're going into they'll be going into the whole process themselves on a different space, like at a be- at a better level than than where we started, right? Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, I too knew nothing <laughs> of this whole world when I first had kids. Um, and speaking of kids, I would love to hear what yours are getting up to because I love getting a little snapshot of unschooling kids and their interests. Uh, Lily Rose is the youngest and she just loves to draw and she's very imaginative. She (laughs) has, um, she has a couple of sketchbooks and she draws OCs, which are original characters. Mm -hmm. And she has developed avatar self. That's sort of like a fox with many tails and wings. And I mean, she's just so super creative and, uh, she makes up these really cool stories and it really, it started on Minecraft. She used to build like these crazy things on Minecraft and she wouldn't just build a castle. She'd have this whole lore about like, you know, hundreds of years of what's gone on in this castle. And um, so she's drawing and she is currently um, looking at tablets where you can draw directly onto the tablet yeah uh, because she does like doing graphic arts because so much of her interaction is online um but right now she's doing hand-drawn stuff and she's very she's very good i really i think so i'm her mom but (laughs) (laughs) objectively she's very good and uh and then our middle son joseph um he was really the one i worried the longest about because when we did um, moved to unschooling, he was the kid that really did like only be on the computer all the time for so long. <laughs> I mean, like, and I hadn't let go of that idea that like, well, I'm going to let them make their choice, but then they're going to choose what I think is best. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. And it took me a while to get over that. But um, actually, he spent so much time on Roblox that he decided that he wanted to learn to code in the Roblox language. And so he does. It's Lua. And he has he created a game that he did himself. And it was actually featured by Roblox. They put him on their Twitch stream and interviewed him. And wow. through that 
you know, he's 16 and he's met several really successful developers, mm-hmm. um, some of whom, you know, are working for other corporations that are places that would be excellent connections for when he's ready to actually move into the working world. And really, I mean, that's kind of a silly thing to say because he's already taking like contract work and doing things like he just built a maze generator that generates mazes in three dimensions for someone's game. Wow. And he, I just have to laugh because this is a kid that, I mean, screamed bloody murder over doing 10 simple single digit subtraction problems when he was like six years old because he just didn't want to do it. It wasn't like he couldn't, he just didn't want to. Mm -hmm. And maybe six weeks ago he comes downstairs. He's like, mom, I'm trying to make these snowmen get in this formation and they need to move from this formation to that formation. And I need you to help me with a trigonometry problem. (laughs) I'm like, let's look up Khan Academy. I don't know what to tell you. Trigonometry thing. You're beyond me. So, you know, he just puts out a call on his Discord channel and finds somebody that does know it, the trigonometry, and they teach it to him. And now he says he doesn't want to do game design. He wants to go to school for like strictly computer science and coding because he likes the math of it. He really enjoys that mm-hmm. aspect of it, which is so funny to me. <laughs> and um, I just know that if I had spent, you know, the last 10 years, forcing him to do worksheets, he would not be that kid. He wouldn't. There's no way. And um, our oldest has, uh, I'm like a huge like forensic files fan. I, when I work, I always have to have something going in the background. So I just blow through Netflix and Hulu and all that stuff. And um, my son, my oldest has decided that he's going to go to school for um, physics and chemistry because he wants to do something in the forensics field, like ballistics analysis or um, blood spatter analysis and things like that. So, um, and right now he just went down to Atlanta. He paid for his own flight and we gave him some money because we just wanted to and grandma sent him money. But, you know, for the most part, he's become very independent. He wants to pay his own way. He flew down to visit his girlfriend and he's there for a week. And um, he's so unbelievably independent that he was going to take a bus from Phillipsburg, which is only like 20 minutes from us. And he had this whole route planned out and everything. I said, oh, my God, you're going to be traveling for 27 hours each way. That's crazy. Have you even looked at the prices of flights? And he says, yeah, but I'd have to fly out of Pittsburgh. And that's a really long drive. I'm like, it's two hours. I'll drive you to Pittsburgh. He's like, well, I didn't want to make you have to drive me. I wanted to do it myself. I was like, I know you're 18, but you're still my first baby. Okay. I will take (laughs) you to the airport. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he's super helpful letting go of forcing them to do like these specific chores. It was unbelievable how helpful they became all on their own. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say immediately like the next day or anything, but I just, we're close. They do things for us because they care about us, not because they have to. And that just means so much. It really does. It really, it's, it's a shift. You know, it's something you um, can't expect. You don't realize is going to happen. 
You know what I mean? When you first start, I mean, maybe you've heard people talking about it, but it's just so different. It's hard to imagine, right? When you, when you, you, (laughs) exactly. Well, you had special kids. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It won't won't work for us. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love that unicorns. I'm gonna remember that now. <laughs> you all have unicorns, <laughs> right? But so. well, that that leads really nicely into our next question, actually, because um, and this was something I grabbed out of your uh, series as well. But and and it it connected with me. Um, I thought it was, was a great point. So when newer unschooling parents ask about what to do um, about these everyday struggles, right. You know, trying to get our kids to, to do something or, or, you know, help us here, et cetera. Um, often the advice when you go to unschooling circles is basically just stop struggling, stop fighting with them. Right. And that right. can be a really hard concept to grasp at first, right? You know, well, yeah. what do you mean just just stop? <laughs> right. So how did you work through that? Um, well, I think that there's two types of parents, really. I mean, there's the parents who want their children to do those things because they want their children to be chore slaves. I mean, they there are parents that just think, that their kids owe them that, that we give you food and shelter and you owe us. And, you know, I'm part of the Liberty community and I see a lot of people, there's this whole segment of the Liberty community that believes children are property and you supply them, you know, it's almost contractual. If I'm going to give you food and stuff, then you're going to do exactly what I say every day of your life, every minute of that day until you can go pay for your own food. And those parents probably are never going to stop struggling because those parents aren't really, they're not really doing it out of a desire to help their children. They're Mm -hmm. not acting out of fear. They're acting out of selfishness, I would say. Um, And then there are parents who, you know, I would like to class myself in there who just really were raised to believe that if you do not train a child like a dog to do as they're told and to be responsible from the time they can understand the language, then they will wind up living in your basement until they're, you know, old and gray and they will fail at life and you will be that horrible parent that everyone in town points to and says, oh, look at how her kid turned out. Mm -hmm. And that's terrifying. Yes, the humiliation of that is terrifying. And also the idea that your child will not thrive is terrifying. And so for me, and I don't know that this will work for everyone, but for me, because what I really wanted was I needed to redefine success. For me, success became having a happy child. I recognized that, look, I didn't find my career until I was 27 years old. I love what I do. I would never have I would never have found it through traditional schooling or, and it was definitely not what my mother wanted me to do. Um, I hit a lot of roadblocks in life, but at 27, I finally sort of, you know, started getting it together financially and, and I was okay. And so if today my son doesn't clean his room, 
what is the worst that's going to happen? As it cleans room, the worst that's going to happen is his room is going to be a mess again tomorrow still. But if I fight with him about it, which, you know, I wrote about one day, my son just like losing it and screaming at me, you know, how much I humiliated him. And if I do that, then I risk permanent damage to his spirit and to our relationship. And that's far worse than having a messy room tomorrow. And that's just all there is to it. Um, I think what people don't want to hear when unschoolers tell them stop struggling is the underlying point, which is give up on believing that you can make your child clean his room today because you can't. I mean, maybe you can, but do you really want to pay the price for doing that? You don't. And that's what they're saying. You don't want to pay the price in relationship that it's going to cost you to force that on your kid. And it had a lot to do with just recognizing that it was not going to be the end of the world. This was not the day that an extra cookie was going to give my kid diabetes or a messy room, you know, was going to be the day that he turned into a slob for the rest of his life. It's just not going to happen in this moment. In this moment, I'm going to choose our relationship. And it's not easy and it doesn't work every time. It really doesn't. Even now, there are times that, especially my middle, because we're so alike, we butt heads. But that's the choice that you really want to try to make is today I'm going to choose the relationship. Oh, I love I love the way you phrase that. And it's it is part of the process I think of of learning how ingrained control is, right? Us thinking that we not only that we can control another person, but that we should control like you were talking about, you know, what will people think? It's so it's that control and and that fear of the future. Yeah. You know, it I, that, that, that was such a big piece for me too. And I loved um, how you talked about how, what you do is think about what's the worst that can happen. I mean, that, (laughs) that was a big thing for me too, right? Even, even (laughs) when I saw their choices, what they were choosing to do, um, you know, not just in the chore arena, but it absolutely worked there. You know, what is the worst that's going to happen? You know, what's the worst that's going to happen now in this moment and tomorrow and why do I think this moment is, like you said, is is how it's going to be forever, right? right. <laughs> yeah. That and you know, it's every time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Something that I read, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or true, but I had read a long time ago in some article that George Washington didn't have any kind of real formal schooling until he was like 11 years old. And then between the ages of 11 and 13, you know, he mastered, you know, algebra, geometry, trigonometry. He went on to become a surveyor and he was like the equivalent of a millionaire by the time he was an adult, you know, 18, 19 years old. And when people hear that, they think, wow, he must have been a genius. But if you read his contemporaries, they talk about how incredibly average he really was in the intelligence department. And I, I used to remind myself of that as though it were true, because it might be, I don't know. <laughs> but I would tell myself, you know, everything I needed to know for my job, I learned with Google in about 
two days, you know, and I, I'm very successful at my job, you know, and it was math that I had been taught in probably seventh grade that I didn't remember anymore. Why in the world would I? Um, But when I needed it, I went to Google and I found out how to do it. And that was what I did. And I thought, so what if Joe plays, you know, does nothing but play Roblox 24 hours a day? Not that he ever did, obviously. Mm -hmm. But even if he did, if that's all he did for, you know, the next 10 years, yeah. Um, I also, I also realized at some point that, um, and it w- probably wasn't until I started to like play some of their games with them. I realized that games aren't fun. I mean, winning a game is fun. Succeeding at the game is fun, but getting there is often grueling and, There's a lot of opportunity cost associated with it. You could be sitting on your butt watching a funny show and having that entertainment fed to you, but instead you're working to accomplish a goal. And I realized that right now, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you have to teach them that they have to work for what they want. So you can't buy them a computer. You should make them earn a computer. You can't buy them you know, that cookie, you should make them earn that cookie. I realized as I was buying them computers and all this stuff, you know, and not saving for retirement, because we figure, ah, we've got time for that. They won't be young forever. Um, I realized they work very hard for those goals. And I started to remind myself that right now their goal might be to save the princess. And they will work 60 hours on some games to save that princess. Someday their goal will be to maybe have a wife and some kids, you know, maybe their goal will be to buy a house that's not my basement, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and when they have that goal, then they will work for that goal as well. And it came to fruition. I mean, Nicholas has met this young lady. I'm not saying that they're going to get married or anything, but you know, he met her and he started to look at his life and say, you know, if I ever do want to have a wife, I'm certainly not going to move her into the bedroom at mom's house. Um, I need to decide on some kind of career path. What do I like? I really like forensics. I really like mysteries. Um, You know, he researched, he found out that the best thing he could major in would be chemistry and physics to like have those kinds of fields open to him. And now that's what he's doing. He's saving money for college. He's going to go, you know, to communities. He's already seen that like, well, if I take the core classes here, it'll be less expensive. And then I can transfer them to a university. And I didn't have to make him do any of those things. I never even suggested any of them to him. You know, he came to me and said, here's what I'm thinking because his goals changed. And he absolutely had learned to work for goals on video games, you know, so it's great. I mean, I just, I love that point, Jessica. That's, it's exactly (laughs) it. That's why we talk about following their interests, you know, so much is because we want to help them figure out how to accomplish their goals and even helping them, you know, as over the years, figure out what their goals are because, you know, they're going to try some. It's like, oh, you know what? That's not worth the effort for me. Right. But to help them find 
and pursue the goals and the accomplishments. Like, like you said, it doesn't matter whether the accomplishment that they're seeking, you know, is, is through a game because that's helping them gain experience with setting a goal Mm -hmm. and, and determinedly um, pursuing it. Right. Right. Like you said, even Mm -hmm. if it takes 60 hours, I've chosen that goal. I accomplished that goal, whether it's, you know, in a virtual world or in the real world, it's still the experience of, of doing that because they did it in the real world. That was 60 real hours. Yes. (laughs) Then you know, put into it. Yes, and it's funny because isn't that the exact logic that schools tell children when they say, "Why in the world do I need to learn all this algebra, all of this, these formulae, and all of these equations? Why do I need to learn this?" Well, it helps you learn how to think. Mm-hmm. You're <laughs> going to use these. It's going to help you learn how to think. It's going to train you to be able to apply in the real world. Well. I don't know anything more important to learn how to apply in the real world than to pursue a goal determinedly. (laughs) You know, (laughs) all of the things that you need for that, you know, are available to you if you are determined. Yes, that that critical thinking piece. Sure, you can pick up critical thinking skills through the the math that they're talking about that's what they're trying to accomplish but you can be critically thinking about your day and your choice like all they have to do it that way because they don't have a lot of choices in their in their lives right Mm -hmm. so you know we need to well we'll try to develop that skill this way but it's not the only way to develop critical thinking skills right right? (laughs) if they thought about it critically they would know that But within that environment, it probably is one of the few ways. Right. Thought about that, but yeah, no, that's really interesting. I love that, Jessica. Um, next question: Can you share some ways you helped your husband move away from conventional parenting? So, as you guys were making this shift, especially those first six months, those first few weeks, um, there was there was one point you made that I thought was super great, which was sometimes it helps to remember to treat our spouses with as much care as we do our children, doesn't it? Yeah, we definitely initially butted heads some. Um, I think maybe because, and this is not to be sexist or reinforce sexual stereotypes, but he is a man. And I think that he's Southern, he's from Houston. And I think that um, men are raised to believe that they should be respected and particularly by their children. And of course we grew up in homes where, you know, you were physically punished if you talked back or disagreed or made the wrong face. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, we were taught to really suppress our emotions. And um, I think that to some extent, and this is, sad but honest and I think that it's important for us to be honest as parents I think that there's a part of us that almost relishes finally having control and of course we see that in all sorts of people you know who have you know in peoples who have been oppressed and rise up to become oppressors and I think that that pattern often holds true for ourselves, we spend our entire childhood being oppressed, you know, not being allowed to express emotion or anything. And 
you know, when we grow up, we just want to be respected. We want to be the one in charge and we want to be given the same deference that we were forced to give at some point. And it's, it's sad because of course we all leave those homes thinking I'm going to be a better parent. I would never do that to my children, but it just, it happens. You don't know any differently. You really don't, you don't have a different framework. And so we did initially butt heads because I was a bit more forgiving of things like not just talking back, but doing so in a disrespectful way, rudeness. Not that I wouldn't say like, okay, you know, you're being rude. Like you don't have to talk that way or you don't have to scream at people, but he would become angry in response. And, and I have as well. Um, but even in his calmer moments, he might not see the rationale for why he shouldn't be angry, if that makes sense. And so we talked about it privately a lot. Um, we talked about our own childhoods, uh, because we, you know, we are, we have an inner child that was wounded and that, you know, is healing through the unschooling journey and through the closeness we've had with our own children. It's almost like mothering and fathering ourselves to an extent as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I did to the best of my ability and not perfectly, of course, was I tried to head things off at the pass. If, If I saw that someone was becoming upset and maybe was going to say something they regretted, I would intervene and make things right myself. You know, there's a dish, there's a dirty dish in the living room that somebody didn't take out of the living room and they should have. I'll just grab the dirty dish. I'm not going to, you know, Mm -hmm. see people go to, you know, damage their relationship over a bowl sitting on a table. And I would also... I also would point out things like if one of the kids was helpful to me during the day, because my husband worked out of the house a lot at that time and he wouldn't see it. You know, he would come home and say their shoes are in the doorway or something. I would be sure to make him aware of the things they had done to be helpful and also to just share with him in quiet moments the changes that I saw ask him about the changes he saw, talk about how good it felt, you know, to see them so happy. And I think that that, you know, and he would feel that way too. And kind of basking in that feeling of love that we had for the kids and, and knowing and, and sharing about the changes we had made and the patience we had extended to allow those changes to happen helped him to see it rather than me saying like, you're wrong. Don't do it this way. Or even we agreed we were going to do this. It was far more helpful to say, gosh, did you see how Joe came down and wanted to watch a movie with us? (laughs) Like, that's so great, you know? And those moments were triumphs for us as parents. And, you know, but yeah, I did do a lot of cleaning up after the kids or um, stopping them from doing something I knew would upset (laughs) their dad. Um, Talking to them privately and sharing with them, like, look, you have to understand that we come from a different life than you do. Mm -hmm. 
try to be patient with us too, you know, and, and this was, of course, they're older kids, not with Lily, who was so tiny, but particularly my oldest son, you know, try to be patient with us too. We are trying, but we're not going to be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, I loved that piece because it sounded so similar to our, you know, year to transition at that time, you know, because I, I did the same thing um, to try and... Um, help with the transition. So yeah, if I saw something that might be a flashpoint, you know, I would do it. You know, I would, I'd grab the dirty dish, you know, I'd set, try to set up the environment. So when they were going to engage, I'd, I would be like, Hey, you know, you want to play this with dad or Hey, when you, if you want to hang out with them tonight, why don't you ask if they want to watch a movie? And, and the exact same thing, talking to him and pointing out, the the difference the the different things the new things oh you know we had fun doing this and sharing maybe something that they did during the day um, when I'm talking to him so that he can because it's a new way of looking at things right and especially when they're out during the day they're not looking with that new lens they're still in that conventional mindset world right so right. coming home is like coming to this whole new land where we look at things through a totally different lens so yeah. to talk to him about that and like you said talking to the kids too and explaining his perspective and you know point so you know i i would do those things and then mention oh you know make not all the time but i i'd say oh i grabbed that dish or whatever because right. you know this and explaining um his background and, and that kind of stuff. And, and mine as well, where these um, habits, um, thoughts, perspectives came from and developed, you know, because they could, they could understand that mm-hmm. um, age appropriately. Absolutely. My kids were older too. My oldest was like 10 when, when we began unschooling. So they were 10 and eight those first few months too. And, and even, uh, you know, then it goes to their sibling relationships, too. When there were difficulties between siblings, I'd be separately talking to them and, oh, you know, they were yeah. trying to accomplish this or, you know, I think they got upset about that and back and forth. It was just a whole transition of us all learning a new way to be together, right? And yeah, absolutely. A new way of looking, especially for the adults, a new way of looking at. Um, the things that that we were doing as a family and seeing yeah. the things the kids were doing, so yeah, I loved I loved that bit because it was that was a big part of our transition too. One of the things that um, we remind each other of, or not so much anymore because it's settled in more, yeah. but um, we would have to remind each other like, you get mad, right? Don't you get angry? aren't you ever unreasonable? And it just, it seems so bizarre that as a culture, you know, traditional American parenting, at least in my experience, our expectation is that a child will be more in control of their emotions and behaviors than an adult will. Right. I mean, either you're saying you believe they're capable of higher maturity than you are, or you're just being a hypocrite. And how can a child not see that you're a hypocrite yeah. when you can scream and yell and stomp when you're angry 
And, you know, maybe if a child is lucky in traditional American parenting, get an apology later. <sighs> um, but the child will never be able to do that, you know, mm-hmm. and that just seemed so bizarre to me when I finally looked at it that way. Like, what are we thinking? Like, oh, I have to get to 18. And when I, when I hit 18, I had to be allowed to be a jerk. <laughs> you know? But as a child, I'll have to be really controlled. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, 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 the power paradigm, right? Like the adults have the power and we can get away with this stuff. And you don't, you're under our power, under our control. And, and like you said before, you know, you, when you look back and you say, oh, I wouldn't be a parent like that. But when you hit 18, now you have that power to not have others control you. And it's been winding you up for those 18 (laughs) years. And now it's like, poof, I finally have the power to be able to do this stuff to control myself really to be in control and not have other people try Mm -hmm. to control me yeah that's interesting um and this will we were talking a little bit earlier about fear right and fear of the future um and i love this quote from part eight of your unschooling journey series uh you wrote if i had to guess i'd say 99.99999% of the fear i experience as a parent comes from focusing on the adult i want to create instead of the child i have so i wanted to talk a little bit about shifting away from that fear and how you did that or um, and, and continue <laughs> to do yeah. that right yeah. because we all i mean we all get stuck in that you know, you know, is today going to be how it looks forever? Right. It's like we forget anybody learns. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it really is difficult. I, I mean, I still get afraid. I, mm-hmm. I do. Um, it has to be like a conscious choice not to react not to be reactionary when fear arises um i guess it really came down to redefining success for me i grew up my mom was you know she'll say she's stupid she's uneducated but she's far from stupid she just went to school with a bunch of nuns who smacked her around for getting things wrong instead of teaching her. So um, she recognized that I had a certain level of intelligence early on and she decided that what was right for me, obviously her being a poor woman with little education, um, I could be a rich lawyer or doctor someday And when she got that in her head, there was nothing else that would have made her happy. Mm -hmm. And the number of dreams, I mean, I have wanted to be everything under the sun. I'm just one of those people that I've just, I want to be everything. It's probably why I read so much. (laughs) I get to be everything that way. Nothing I chose other than being a doctor or lawyer would have made her happy because it would not have assuaged her fears. Yeah. And so I came from that background and I really had to, you know, and maybe part of 
what made me able to was seeing my own journey, how I, I really struggled financially for years. When my boys were very little, um, there was a time when we lived um, in a trailer that had like a four foot hole in the floor with a piece of plywood thrown over it. We cooked on a fire outside because the stove didn't work. And that was just what we could afford at the time through various um, personal things that had gone on. Mm-hmm. And this was when they were babies. And so I have lived really rough. We've had it hard. And I still made it. And I'd not only made it, but through that journey, I found a job I love, a job that paid me more starting to train in a day than I was making in two weeks at that time. It's allowed us to move all over the place and see awesome sights and meet awesome people. Uh, The kids and us have been close. We've been very close physically. You know, there have been times we've lived in two hotel rooms with five dogs. (laughs) So, you know, and we've had to make do with things. But we've also lived in like this really cool house in Boise with an in-ground pool built into the side of a mountain. You know, we've gotten to do these cool things because of how I stumbled into this particular career path. And so I can't look at my kids and say, unless you do ABC, you will never succeed because I did everything wrong. I threw away a college scholarship with partying because I had never been able to make a decision for myself in my life before that moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I look back and I see that I made a lot of mistakes because I was so controlled as a child. And what I want is instead of my children to turn 18 and go escape my control and make all of these mistakes I want them to make all the mistakes they could possibly conceive of right now while they're still in my care and I can help them. And then I want them to become adults who feel like they have had a childhood, that they don't have to live one between the ages of 20 and 40. And I think that a lot of people today do feel that way because it's like, From the moment a child is born, people are planning what school they're going to go to, what nursery school they're going to start in, how are we going to socialize them, how are we going to get them advantages in life, start teaching them to be an adult from the minute they come from the womb. And it just seems ironic that we, in this country, we built such a wealthy nation, you know, relative to where we were, that we were able to take children out of coal mines and off of street corners and out of factories, and we just stuck them in new factories to teach them to be adult taxpayers as soon as possible. And I don't want that. I want children who get to be children. Don't get me wrong. Children in coal mines didn't have the option of Xbox or the coal mine. They had the option of coal mine or starvation. We don't live in that world. My kids don't have to work 24-7 toward being a better adult. And that's, that's how I let go of the fear, I think. Just recognizing that this is the time to be a child. Gosh, let them be kids. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they won't you know, live this second childhood from the ages of 20 to 40. 
And I think I'm seeing that bear out with Nicholas, my oldest, who is incredibly mature and really has it together and makes good sound decisions. You know, he's right because they got experience doing that. Right. Well, going back to that critical thinking, right. And analyzing and, and making choices. They've had experience doing that. Like you said, making the mistakes and stuff, you know, um, and, and, you know, we can go back to the whole definition of what's a mistake. It's not a mistake in the moment. It's a choice in the moment. It's only a mistake when you're looking back. So it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It's just a label for an action. It's a label Mm. for a choice. And it's like, all it says is I probably won't make that choice again. (laughs) Right. Great point. (laughs) I've learned something. Ah, I see what happened there. (laughs) Next time I'm going to go that way. (laughs) I'm going to use that. I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. And I love the way you talked about it being how really how you're redefining success. Right. Sure. Yeah. Redefining, you know, it's not, for me, when you were talking about it, it was it was about not looking to the future, but kind of success in the moment. Again, it's making the choices in the moment, right? And those are our, our best choices. Like, and, and when we say best choice, it's not like literally I chose the best thing. Right. But I did my critical thinking and this was the choice that came out of it. For me, right. that's how I define a best choice. Whether you know, two days later or two weeks later, I go, huh, and I step in a different direction. That doesn't matter. But in that particular moment, that that was success for me because that was that was my choice, right? And that's right. what I learned out of it. Yeah. So I think that's a that's how one of the ways I could take that fear of the future and and um expanding looking, taking this choice and thinking that they were going to do that forever, the fear of how it might turn out for them and, and just bringing it right. into the moment and staying in the moment with it helped me lose the fear because I wasn't projecting. Projecting, that's the word that I was trying to <laughs> wasn't projecting it into the future. And, yeah. you know, I love that you were talking about, you know, even looking back and, you know, coal mines and all that kind of stuff. This isn't the world that we're in. That's another thing, you know, we can be wishing for past and like there's so much stuff that can just get swirling in our heads, right? So yeah. when we bring it into the moment and just say, you know, where are we right now? What's what and, and just help with that critical thinking piece as much as they're interested in, you know, we can maybe add our experience. We can listen to them sharing what they're thinking and everything, but supporting them and making their choice. Cause that's when they're going to learn the most out of it. Right. In that moment, yeah. what they think is the best choice. It may be something completely different. Like we would not make the same choice if it was us in that position, but it makes the most sense to them. So right. why not help them try that? Because that's where they're going to learn the most. Cause that's what they thought. If if we just, you know, tell them what we kind of think is the best choice for them, then then really whatever happens is about our choice. It's not about yeah. theirs, right? Yeah, and I think that they internalize that. And yeah. so the choice never feels as good to them. Mm-hmm. I um when Nicholas started 
learning like German and Japanese and Italian. I just, I thought, you know, that wasn't in that Brookvale curriculum or whatever. <laughs> $3,000 for that one year. I, I would never have thought, you know, to teach him those things or even to make them available had I not just let him, you know, make his own choices. Mm -hmm. And I remember once taking him out when we lived in Boise, there was this ridiculously overpriced restaurant Chandler's that was just so good. And I, I feel like a really nice restaurant like that, like occasionally it's civilizing, you know? So I would take the kids. Sometimes we would go out as a family and have like this really elegant meal And I took Nicholas once, uh, I think for his birthday it was, and just the two of us, just a mother-son trip out. And and I pointed out to him that the servers in that place probably make three, four hundred dollars a night in tips because of how expensive the meals are and how good they are at their job, you know people look down on something like being a server. Like, well, I mean, at least the school I came from, Mm -hmm. you were were either in college preparatory courses or you were in vocational technical courses. And those were the dumb kids that were never going anywhere. And I'll tell you what, I bet a lot of those kids make more money than half the kids I was in college prep courses with. You know, it was very there's kind of this culture that says either you're going to college or you're too stupid to make money. And that's ridiculous. I mean, mechanics, carpenters, people who work with their hands, beauticians, estheticians. I've got a friend who went to beauty school and, you know, like a year out of it while I was still living in a trailer, she was being flown all over the world representing bedhead products, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think what's important is for them like we talked about earlier, to have that determination and drive to accomplish a goal. You can be a server at a restaurant. You can be the best server and make more money than your mother does easily, you know, if you want to be that, if you want to be good at things. And I think that that's a big part of what unschooling has helped. Excuse me, I'm still recovering. (laughs) A big part of what unschooling has done for... Um, adults who were unschooled is like you said, the choices are theirs because the choice is theirs. They really do want to be good at what they do. Nobody wants to be good at something. Somebody else chose for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You want to be good at what you choose yourself. Intrinsically, you chose it because of of something, Mm -hmm. whether it's whether it's part of accomplishing a goal, whether it's just something you love to do, whatever. Sure. If you've chosen it, there's that intrinsic motivation to be good at it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've tried to instill um, the idea that, you know, yes, there are economic realities. You will not live at the level you live in in this house if, you know, you decide that your course of work is to be a cashier for the rest of your life. That's you know, especially not if you decide to have a wife and children, that's not going to happen. You won't be able to live at this particular, you know, level of stuff. 
But maybe stuff isn't what's important to you. Exactly. Maybe what's important to you is that your job requires relatively little you know, from you and you get to come home and invest like all of your time in your family. Maybe mm-hmm. that's more important to you. Maybe you want to do something out of your home because you get to be home with your kids all the time, even if you make a lot less money. Hence, what you want is what's important. Yeah. And educated about it. You know? <laughs> the critical thinking skills, right? I mean, right. when you've been making your own choices and learning, um, you know, for years, learning from them, figuring things out, trying things out, you're not going to assume or think things that are just totally, you know, right. You know, that I'm going to do minimal, minimal work, make a ton of money, you know, things relate to each other. You know, you know, you have a reasonably good idea of how the world works. Yeah. And and I think you have a better idea because I'll tell you, my, my best friend is a college professor and the kids that come through that school, you just would not, and I'm not talking like they're there in, you know, her remedial first year English class. These are kids who are sophomores in college, you know, taking an elective English course who have no concept of, of what is going on. These are kids who were told If you go to college, you will get a piece of paper and it will mean you make more money. Mm -hmm. And they believed it. I feel we have failed an entire generation of school children desperately. Mm -hmm. You know, these kids are coming in and going into these incredibly already oversaturated fields. They're going into debt because the debt is so easy to obtain if you want to go to school with it. And, um, Mm -hmm you know, they're graduating with a piece of paper that means nothing. You know, all it is is useful for going on a YouTube video and saying, you know, I'm, you know, I have a bachelor's in this and I'm working at McDonald's. Yep. Yep. Just having a bachelor's in anything does not mean an automatic paycheck. And, and I don't think that these kids who are in school and their guidance counselors are like, well, what college are you going to? you know, that expectation. I did not have realistic expectations when I went to college. And really, I probably should never have gone. I wasted two years in college that I didn't need to spend. My job doesn't require a college degree. It's starting to now, but I'm kind of grandfathered in because I've been doing it so long. But, you know, there are lots of jobs that don't require a college degree. There are a lot more that shouldn't. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, yeah, at this point, they're they're slapping on needs a college degree on so many things or want a college degree. Mm-hmm. But there's so there really is so many different ways to gain that experience and knowledge as well. I mean, mm-hmm. and like you said, you, you know, with your with Nicholas, your oldest son, like choosing that that's that's like a whole world of difference, right? How he's yeah. going to show up and engage there because. He's chosen it. He's done his analysis. He has a plan. Right. You know, and, and when he gets there, what if he gets there and, and his plans change? What, but that's more learning. He's gone there. He's yeah. had some experience. It's like, ah, oh, this is not doing what I thought it was going to do or whatever. <laughs> or this is great. Or this isn't the greatest, but, 
you know, it's the stepping stone for my longer term goal, whatever. But that's a whole critical thinking piece, right? Understanding ourselves, like that's the other value they get rather than just being told, take this step, this step, this step. They're understanding themselves. They're understanding goals that they have chosen. They're figuring out ways to mesh and and to come up with a plan on how they might get there. I mean, it's a whole world of difference, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. I mean, just think about the fact that you don't even have to know what your major is to go to a college. You just go. You just go like it's 13th grade. Yeah, yeah. And while you're there, you'll figure out what you want to do with your life. And at some point, you know, three years in, you know, with five years ahead of you, you know, or with five years to graduate, you're looking and say, well, I, I guess I could major in English lit, which is what my best friend is an English lit professor. But I guess I could major in English lit. Well, what can you do with that? She'd be the first to tell you, you can teach. That's it. That's yeah. all you can do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, tutor, maybe, you know, be sort of, you know, get up there and do some like tutoring online or whatever, have a blog, things like that. But you know, if you're not going to college to be an engineer or to be a doctor or something, I mean, these, the diplomas are just, everybody's got them. Everybody Mm -hmm. has them. They mean like almost nothing anymore. They're, it's sad. It's really sad that, you know, I, and I did the exact same thing. I went to college. I thought of like five different majors, like, well, maybe I'll major in criminal psychology. Maybe I'll major in English. Maybe I'll major in criminal law. I don't (laughs) know. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I will be a lawyer. Maybe I'll be a writer. Yeah. I I didn't know what I wanted to do. And the state paid 9000 and some dollars for me to spend that first year in Rutgers. You know, thank you for the scholarship. And, and I was, I mean, I was not a dumb kid. Like I was a relatively worldly knowledgeable 18 year old compared to a lot of my peers. Um, Certainly some of them were more successful, but probably mostly because they just followed the plan, you know, and I don't know when you define success, how happy they are. I know kids who went to Princeton on full rides who, you know, are realtors now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, that redefining of success, I want, I want my children to be happy. I want them to be happy people. I want them to be happy now. I want them to be happy in the future with whatever choices they make. And I can't guarantee their happiness ever if I'm the one who makes the choices for them because I don't know what's best for them. I never can. Exactly. And and we're by allowing them to make choice make their own choices and to see what happens, they're discovering how to find their happiness to find what makes them happy. And that's going to be, you know, the best that we can do to help them continue. Like they, they now have experience in figuring out how to be happy, right? Yeah. How to, yeah. And, and that's what they take with them. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Our last question here. I think we've kind of been hitting this throughout the whole conversation, <laughs> but if there's anything else you'd like to add to it about how unschooling has helped your family heal? Um, I guess we're just 
we're easier on the kids and we're easier on ourselves. We're easier on our parents. We just don't have the kind of stress that we used to. Mm -hmm. Being in control sounds like it's going to be awesome when you're a little kid and you now don't have any control and then you grow up and you're like, wow, I finally have control. I can wield it. But it's really not. Being in control means also being responsible for everything that happens. And that's something that I've had a lot of trouble letting go of. I'm, I can be a little, uh, I can be a lot controlling really, or trying to control a lot of things. And it has helped me to let go of so many areas in my life where I felt like I had to make things the right way. It's really hard to explain the Mm -hmm. level of anxiety I used to feel and still do from time to time. But I mean, there were years where I just felt nothing but anxiety. My whole life was a tight chest and panic. You know, I had a four-year-old and was terrified that I was doing everything wrong and they were never going to be happy and I was never going to be able to make them the adult that I needed them to be, which was an adult who could, you know, who would never miss a bill, (laughs) who would always have a really good paying job, who Mm -hmm. would have a nice house, who would have all of the things that I had lacked as a child and was afraid I was not going to be able to give my own children and just recognizing that so little is really in your control legitimately. It's just not, um, you can try to control it really, really hard, but you can't. And seeing that that's okay, that it's all right, that not only is it okay, it's so beautiful It really is beautiful. I can't describe it any other way. Our family is so happy the way things are. And and I do want to say, not always. I mean, my daughter, we didn't talk a lot about Lily. She is just a passionate, amazing young woman. And she is going through kind of early puberty. And it's been very hard for her. She sees her brothers as successful. She sees them as having things all together. And even though she is five years younger than Joe and seven years younger than Nick, she feels this urgency to have it together, to know what she's going to be and what she's going to do. And it's so funny because she was raised in unschooling. She's never had the expectations put on her that the boys did. And so I guess I would want to share that sometimes those things just are intrinsic to a child. They are. And it is her temperament to worry and worry about whether she's doing things right. But uh, last week, my middle son, Joe, who is the least affectionate and the least close to all of us, he's prickly. 
he spent about an hour that I know he could have been online with his friends sitting in the kitchen and sharing with his sister how lovely her artwork is, how she should set up a Tumblr and she could do this, that, and the other, and where she can go on Roblox to, you know, maybe sell some of her artwork to developers and, you know, just really encouraging her. And the boys encourage each other. My older son went in and cleaned my younger son's room while my younger son was gone. And he wasn't thrilled about it. He wasn't, but he did it. And there's so much love and so little competition in our house compared to six years ago, seven years ago, that it's just, it's like magic. It's like we have unicorns now. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Like it really is. It it heals the relationships, right? You find the really, and I love how you mentioned that the competitiveness is gone. Yeah. Cause I think because once you stop dealing in power, you don't have to try and grab as much power as you can from your, from your siblings or like in your interactions with your parents, because now we're all just helping each other accomplish what we're all, what we're each trying to accomplish. Right. So it's no more about, well, you know, if you accomplish that, you're going to look better than me. So you're going to have more power because you're more accomplished, you know, all that kind of Mm -hmm. just falls by the wayside, doesn't it? And like you said, it's not like um, everybody's lives are real. Mm-hmm. Like you said, your your daughter is having having a rough time for a while. Like we we all do. The, that's the reality. It's not like it's it's not a happiness that's like la 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 la. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like the deeper happiness of just this is real life, and we're engaging in real life, and we're in relationships with each other that aren't you know competitive and power based, but are are real, you know, yes, we help out. And sometimes we're helping out when we kind of want to be doing something else, but we we're choose there. We're still choosing in that moment that this is the person we want to be. I want to be the person that helps out this way. Yeah. Right. Rather than always just choosing this. It's why it, it truly is why it's so kind of hard to explain that first, right? It, it looks like unicorns again, it right? It really is. Yeah. yeah. Because it's right. It's not perfect. It's certainly not everybody like you. Oh, so yes, it is real life. Real life has problems. We come up against obstacles. We slip and do things that we shouldn't. Everybody does. Yeah. But, but yeah, there's this underlying fabric that is so much stronger and softer than what used to underlie our family. What used to underlie our family was a lot of prickliness and irritability and competitiveness and anger, so much anger. And that for the most part is gone. We may get angry with one another sometimes, but it's not, it's not a thing that's just there all the time simmering amongst us. And it used to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, right. It's, it's, 
it's it's uh, an incident. It's it's right. part of life. Some something, and now it's a something that event that can get talked about and can get worked through. Maybe not in that moment. You know, maybe it will, you know, sit for a little bit. But but we're engaged with each other. Yeah, I think that's a great way. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me, Jessica. I loved it. It was such a fun conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was really fun to talk with you and it was an honor, really. Thank you so much for everything you've done that has allowed mothers like me to to make the changes in our family, you know, in our own way of dealing with life. It's it's been an amazing journey and I'm appreciative. Oh, thank you so much. That's beautiful. And before we go, I like I said, I will share um, links for people uh, to your blog series as well. But where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Oh, well, <laughs> I don't I don't have like a whole lot of an online presence, but I do write. I do blog on Steemit. So uh, I'm on Steemit. I'm just J.R. Hughes on okay. steemit.com. That's S-T-E-E-M-I-T.com. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks so much, Jessica. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, Pam. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to pick up your free copy of my book, What is Unschooling? In it, we'll explore some of the common questions people have when they first hear about unschooling, like how will my child learn? How do I know they're learning? What is de-schooling? And how do I get started? It's also available at many online ebook retailers. And if you'd like to connect online, you can find me on Facebook at Living Joyfully. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.